Yes, of course. Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. <laughs> I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Ah, live from the gleaming, streamlined, state-of-the-art studios of OutlawRadioLive.com, nestled in our secret bunker somewhere in the Los Angeles area, following program is produced by a true broadcasting genius, Magic Bat Allen, on the Outlaw Radio Network. I am the, dare I say it, and I dare say it, the legendary Burl Bear, Edgar Award-winning true crime author and the most modest man in the true crime genre. <laughs> Welcome to True Crime Uncensored. Uh, Howard Lapidus, manager of the star, will be dragging his body in here any minute. <laughs> we have Frank J. Hagen, uh, now part of our true crime crew here on LRRadioLive.com. Mark C.G. Boyer. Our fact checker, who has uncovered some real controversy over this, uh, the book we're talking about today, with the brilliant and talented author who is doing an encore performance in print by bringing back this tragic story. And now people are giving him static, just as if he were a radio. Hi, Howard. Welcome to the show. Won't you, won't you sit down? Ah, uh, Mrs. Mrs. Claypool, won't you lay down? <laughs> <laughs> That's the stateroom scene. I believe it. Not at the opera? Did you already go through the whole... Uh, the, the whole what? The thing about... Uh, have we started? Yeah, we're on the air. Um, <laughs> I haven't got the guy on yet, it but... It bothers me not, by the way. Uh, uh, the, the, the bunker bit and everything that you do? I did that, yeah. You did? Yeah, I did that did already. You bored the audience with it? Yeah, they're during tears already. Sort of the way you're boring the audience right, right now. now. Howard. Thank yeah. you very much, Magic Man <laughs> Allen, for Fuck. your I perceptive knew. insights. Pearl, I knew you were thinking yeah, it. Yeah, I so. was thinking it. You were saying it. We're on the same wavelength. Okay. Like you've never bored the audience. Oh, never. Bored and stroked. The Beast I Loved. How's that for a title? The Beast I Love is tremendous. Yeah, it's a great title. Controversial book for sure now. Let's get the author on here. Robert. Robert Davidson. Robert. Robert. Robert, you know Hello. what you're in? You're, you you're there. He's there. You know what you're in for, right? No, I don't. What's the controversy? I don't know. Well, the first thing is get off the speakerphone. I did ask him to do that, and uh, obviously he, he was missed, not, missed that. not adhering to my wishes. <laughs> we need you to get off the speakerphone. The speakerphone does not That's all I've got here. The handset's kaputs. Kaputs. Oh. What happened to the handset, man? We gotta call your uh, your uh, internet provider. Your <laughs> this this is the hand you've been dealt. Uh, this is the hand you've been dealt. We'll play the hand we got. Okay, I'm a Robert. long way from you, guy. Way back in the East Coast, where it's cold. Oh, I feel sorry for you. It's a gorgeous day here in beautiful Los Angeles. And everyone's saying, "Ha, Robert Davis is missing out on this." A little bit more uh, focus in, not exactly where you are, but about where you, where you are on the East Coast. Where are you? Southern New Hampshire, guys. Oh, that's bad. Oh, that's, yeah, that's terrible <laughs> there. I'd get the hell out of there as fast as I can. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, let's talk about this. Uh, you've got a book that just came out, uh, The Beast I Loved, which is uh, part historical and very controversial. Give us the backstory on this, Robert. Well, I'm, uh, I'm curious about your comment about the controversial aspect of it. What, what are you referring to? I'm referring to the uh, article or review by her daughter. Yeah, her daughter was 
uh, five years old at the time this happened. So that uh, I don't know where that came from or what she's talking about, but no controversy whatsoever. She doesn't know what happened to her mother. Uh, well, good. Let's get let's get rolling with this. Tell us the story. And I'll tell you why. Yeah, I'll tell you why I wrote the, the book, Burl, because. Um, and the initial idea, of course, is to focus the attention on, on domestic violence. Uh, I mean, that's why we re-released this now just uh, just Tuesday, just a few days ago. Um, because domestic violence has been front and center in the media now, every day, every night. And, and it just seemed like the, the timing was right to re reissue this story, which has been updated with uh, new material and what have you. Uh, so it really couldn't be a better time. And, and the other thing is violence against women, it, it's not diminishing. If anything, it's getting worse. So is violence against men, according to studies I've read. Yeah, as well, as well. You're right. So, so. so just plain old violence against people. What, what, okay. what, what have we become, Robert? Well, uh, the point is, uh, in regards to violence against women, which is 99% of the abuse is in regards to domestic violence, a recent report by the FBI of just the last year, 2017, reported that a woman a woman is beaten every 15 seconds in this country. And she's tired of it. You know, that's, a stack, that's four million assaults a year, and that's just a reported. Right, uh, at minute 17 seconds, which is an interesting figure. What's that? <clears throat> yeah. Well, the other figure that's even more stunning is that the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence reports the incredible statistic one in three women one in three have been victims of physical violence by an intimate partner within their lifetime it's just astounding fact that it's is. so pervasive now that the surgeon general is calling it this a public health crisis so so that 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 was the idea uh, behind this as well as um bringing this not just to the general reading audience but also to college professors who teach courses in this material family violence domestic violence uh, criminal justice, women's and gender studies, you know, sociology, psych psychology. Those people would may get some value out of this story. As Absolutely. Well as, as, yeah, and also the directors of uh, uh, domestic violence agencies all over the country. They deal with this on a daily basis, and so that was the general idea uh, of bringing this back, this story back out. You know, I raised a question one time. Let's suppose uh, that you are a woman who's just arrived in Los Angeles with your significant other, and you're staying at uh, Ralph's Hotel Motel, and you have very few resources, and the guy beats the crap out of you. And you uh, stumble out of there, it's, uh, it's about uh, 4.45 on a Friday afternoon, you got no money, you got no nothing, and you're on the street, and you've just been beat. What do you do? Where do you get help? Uh, what happens? And the, and I asked, I, I called the various agencies here in, in L.A., and uh, you know what the answer was? Why? Well, you can perform oral sex on someone and get a room. You know, that sucks. And those were the cops. <laughs> yeah. I know. Historically, criminal justice system has been unresponsive to domestic violence. The response by police and courts to allegations of rape and domestic violence, they've been notoriously lacking. Back in the mid-1980s when June was being beaten, you know, a police officer had to see the abuse and physically with his own eyes see the abuse before he could make an arrest. And That's now, insane. Well, now it's a little bit better. I mean, jurisdictions, you have to suspect, suspect it or have an accusation by the victim to, in order to take the abuser into custody. But that, So there's some improvement now, but you're right. It's, it's a pretty tough row for <laughs> these women that are getting uh, uh, violated.
Oh, yeah, I don't want to get violated either. Yeah. But, oh. it's, uh, you know, the, the, the safety net for women or men in that situation is, uh, is sorely lacking. You can talk about the, uh, uh, you know, shelters, etc., but getting into them is incredibly difficult. They're overbooked, and finding one for a guy is uh, even more difficult. There you're isn't right, one. You know, Robert, it sounds like if everybody was to focus on this and try and help the situation... What would we be doing at the end of the day? Shaving 10 seconds off of the 15 seconds? Do you understand what I'm saying? It's like, what can be done that takes that 15, every 15 seconds down to every minute or every two minutes? That's a good question. I mean, I, hopefully books like this will, will bring, bring the, some focus and uh, you know, shed a spotlight on the issue. See, it's a hidden epidemic. That, that is not noticed because these abusers are adept and they're expert at hiding this thing. It's, it's every, it's every neighborhood suffers from this, not just the poor and the uneducated. You've got white-collar uh, doctors, lawyers, the rich, the famous, batter women. I mean, well, uh, and they abuse and degrade women. you got the other the side of it. You, it's everywhere from the entertainment industry right up to the White House. Yeah, you, you got that right. But in the, not only do the abusers hide it, the abused hide it. That's exactly right. You know why? Here's why. Domestic violence, it's, not, it's never obvious. Uh, most people think they know what domestic violence looks like. They don't. June Briand, the woman in this case, was a, she was a master at hiding her injuries. All, all these victims are. You know yep. why? It, the consequences for not doing so are so severe. These perpetrators of violence are the cowards whose self-image is critical to them. Above all, they covet secrecy so they won't be found out. And so their, their victims realize that, and they don't want to rile them up again. So that's why it's a hidden epidemic. You don't see it. Yeah, that's a, it's a tragic story because I've I've actually been in situations where I've had to deal with people in domestic violence situations, and they beg for help, beg for help, and then at the last minute go, well, if I'm not there, who's going to take care of him? <laughs> well, it's it's insane. We we know about that type of insanity, Robert. Is Howard Howard speaking? And and no, that's exactly right. Um, you know, maybe uh, let me read. Uh, I I got some notes here, and I've done talks on this and what have you. So I think you might get a sense of what this woman went through. If I I just read the, this little uh, introductory sure. page sure. part of the book, would that be all right? Yes, please, please, please. Yeah, yeah. This, this is how. This is what the editor thought was an important excerpt uh, to begin the book. So I'll just read it to you guys. It's coming from uh, June. Quote, with my pregnancy, I hoped there would be a change in Jimmy's behavior. Two kids, two cars, the American dream would be mine. Jimmy had been calm during most of my pregnancy, but then one night when I was six or seven months pregnant, it all crashed down. Jimmy attacked my oldest daughter, Jana. I tried to protect her, but he shoved me out of the way and I fell to the floor. When I crawled over to her and tried to pull her away, he turned and kicked me in the stomach. I shrieked, not in pain, but in terror that he would kill the unborn child that was still in me. He slapped me, punched me, and kicked me. I tried as hard as I could to protect my unborn baby. Then Jimmy stopped hitting us and started screaming. He subjected us to hours of screaming, terror, and threats of death if I ever got in his way again when he was disciplining Jana. He said he'd kill me if I ever ran away. That's the beginning of this book. And it gets worse after that. Whoa. So, so do you find her 
um, at the top of the uh, spectrum, if 10 out of 10, or 7 out of 10, or... Uh, oh, he was, he, that's a good question, bro. That's Howard. That's Howard. Anyway, it's, it's, Howard. Okay, yeah. it's Howard with the good questions. Just, <laughs> just so you're aware. <clears throat> Wow. Sorry, sorry, Howard. I didn't know I got two guys. Yeah. Three, four. Well, you got four of us here. Yeah, <laughs> but, but always know, yeah, Robert, well, when it's you the... Tell me who I'm talking to. Just know? No, she's 11. She was an 11. When she was, um, she told me uh, that when she got to prison, the, the first day on the, in, the intake matron at prison told her, you are a lucky woman. With the, with the kind of abuse you took, you, women in, in, in your situation are not around to talk about it. It was estimated, somewhere in my notes I've got this, the psychologists that uh, interviewed her and, and studied her, they estimated she had a seven-year marriage. They figured by within the first four years, she had been beaten severely at least 50 times. That's 5-0, Howard, 50 times. And by the end of the marriage, which was uh, after seven years, she had suffered at least a hundred severe beatings. She was 11 out of the 10. And this is a rare case of a woman who survived this thing and put an end to it, by the way. They had the wherewithal to do that, even though she was completely insane at the time. Uh, but she was a rare case, to answer your question. Long before she got in, became insane, she was in the first year of her marriage, you say, 50 times she was beaten. First, yeah, first four years. First yeah. four years. Okay, somewhere between maybe 35 and 40, doesn't she think to say something to somebody somewhere of authority? Did she? Or did she That's why I wrote it? the book, because <laughs> you got to understand what happened. No, she's not like you. Why didn't she just leave? Why didn't she just j jump on her BMW with her with her purse and her credit cards and her money and, and take a hike? That's the next question. That's well, the first question. I wanted to get to the heart of why you wrote this book, and I think we're, we're starting to touch on it. Leo you are. You're starting to get there. That's the first question, guys, that I get. And that she got, by the way, when she was getting interviewed in prison, which is where I interviewed her, um, his first question, why did she just leave? Because we can't relate. We just got our credit cards, we jump in our car, we're just going to leave. It doesn't work like that. I've got some points on here. I can read that to you after a little bit here. But um, uh, the, the point is women become disabled, and there's a, there's, a, there's a condition referred to as battered woman syndrome, which was not well recognized back in 1980s which is now a clinically certified syndrome. And the battered woman syndrome then de devolves into uh, what's referred to as learned helplessness. Most psychology right. courses know all about this, where a woman can, she's so severely controlled and beaten that she, she is slowly losing track of reality, and she, she can't just say, wait a minute, you can't beat me anymore. It, it doesn't, doesn't work like that, you guys. I got some examples here. I, I can uh, but before you get to the examples, Robert, can you kind of elaborate on a, a battered women's syndrome, you know, what that really is in total, instead of just yeah, talking? Yeah, I, I can. Um, what is it? No, let me read it to you, because I've got it right here. Go ahead, please. Anyway, it, it's better if I read it to you. I've got yeah. it very clear. Go ahead. And battered woman syndrome is uh, as follows. And you just asked me about after a certain number of beatings. Let, let's say we're at that point here. So here, here's where it's, what it says in the book. At this point in her relationship, which is what we're referring to after many, many beatings, June was falling into what psychologists later referred to as learned helplessness, a complex psychosocial condition that leaves a woman powerless to do anything to stop her attacker. Being battered over and over again, particularly within a short period of time, 
diminishes a victim's ability to respond and convinces her that there is nothing she can do to help herself. Quote, such beatings are like shockwaves, said one psychologist and expert in domestic violence who later examined June. They envelop a person totally, physically, emotionally, and mentally, and seem inescapable no matter what she does. The worst of it is, since her perception is altered, and June's was particularly altered, she believes she has no way out of her situation, and thus her motivation to do something to change dissolves. People in June's situation, this is still a psychologist talking, people in June's situation become passive because their ability to perceive accurately is changed. They cannot perceive accurately. They find that when they take certain actions, they do not get the expected results. When this happens often enough, they begin to believe what, that they will never be uh, a favorable outcome to anything they do. This is exactly what happened to Ms. Briand. Her perception became her reality, and she was crippled by it. Okay. She, uh, I, I want to cut to the chase, and then I want to work backwards, if that's okay. Sure. All right. The chase is she did something about it. Talk about that. Uh, well, that's, a, that's, a, that's a kind of a long story. I mean, let's, Wills, we want to go to the cut to the chase and then work backwards. So let's. Okay, we, okay, we can work backwards if you want. She didn't do that alone. Um, who am I talking to? Well, you're talking about four different people. I'm Burl, you got Howard, you got. Uh, oh, you got yeah, Frank yeah. and Mark. I'll put, name in, I'll put name in. Yeah. She did something about it, but she, she probably wouldn't have, guys, had she not had. Um, this woman, another woman involved in, in the, the case named Helen, we've named her Helen, that's not a real name, who was essentially an accomplice to this murder. It was, it was, uh, June was so, so incapacitated, she probably wouldn't have been able to pull this off without the help of this woman who hated Jimmy because Jimmy referred to her as an airhead and, and I don't know what kind of language I can put on the air. Anything you want. Well, but over and over, and so she hated this accomplice, and the only person June knew, because she had met her at work, she only friend in the world was this woman, and this woman said, you've got to get out of this, you've got to get rid of this SOB, and she was the uh, impetus, she was the, she was the driving force behind uh, the killing. Had she not been there, this would have never happened. So how was so he killed? Pardon me? How was he killed? He was shot in the head while he slept four times in the head. That ought to do it. That did do it. <laughs> okay, so we know that she did do that with the help of uh, Helen. Helen. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's uh, right. Okay, so we know we know that she did something about it. Your subject of this book did do something <clears throat> about it. It was not. I think, but guys, I think it's it's fair to say that. Most women in the situation uh, would not have been able to do that because she was she, again she wasn't she wasn't alone. Um, well, that's part that's that's part of the Robert. That's part of how I want to work backwards. But I did want the audience to know that the subject of your book did do something about it, it which is rare. So now we're that back. is rare because because you know these batterers in, in the case of Jimmy Beyond. Um, you know, I have no doubt whatsoever that had June been <laughs> foolish enough to defy him to even try to run away. Without question, he would have made good on his, on his threat to kill her. I mean, after all, he had always made good on every other threat he had ever made. I mean, he was exceptionally reliable in that department. And remember, in domestic violence homicides, most of them end up with the man killing the wife or the girlfriend. 
when they try to leave or actually do leave. Of course. So this case was different. Yeah. The victim stopped the abuser, and, and that's most unusual. Stopped the abuser, but he never knew he was stopped. He stopped, he, he yes. The lights, oh, no. just, the lights just went out. And um, I, never, oh, I never suspected but, it, of course. I mean, he just never suspected it. Um, I think it'd be good, you know, at this point here to give you an idea. Um, I want to give you an in, a couple of incidents that are so stunning and so horrible. Please do. So you get an idea of what this woman went through. I, I think it'd be enlightening for yeah. your... Um, yes, please do. Do it. Um, and we'll get off this learned helplessness. So to answer your question, I hope I answered it. But you, Yes. You, have, you really have to read the book to understand clearly that these women cannot think straight. Um, anyway, let me let me read you an incident that, that uh, uh, I read for a college group one time, and and and, and, and the audience just went went uh, dumbstruck. Here we go. Here, listen. listen this is what happens here um, in these in these cases that you don't see. Um, okay. Quote. This is this is June speaking now. Quote. Jimmy told me to make him a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I grabbed the jars and opened them on the wooden cutting board and made the sandwich. I had just screwed the lid back on the peanut butter when Jimmy grabbed the jar and held it up to the light like he was trying to look through it. Then I saw what I did wrong. The lid was on crooked. <gasps> no. In a flash, he picked up the knife and stabbed me in the back of the hand. He caught me in the web between my first and second finger. I couldn't move my hand. It was impaled on the cutting board. I just looked at the knife sticking out of my hand. It wasn't the pain that was so bad. It was seeing my hand stuck to the board. I felt sick to my stomach. Then he said, if you can't get the lid on right, maybe you should stand there and think about it for a while. I was beyond crying by then. I still didn't think he was mean. That's how crazy I was getting. I thought, as usual, that it was my fault for not getting the lid on straight and that if I had done it like I was supposed to do, if I had been a better wife, this wouldn't have happened. It was never Jimmy's fault. Wow. Stockholm Syndrome. Worked. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. And that was her quote. Yeah. And then one short paragraph after, let me just read it to you. The closest Jimmy ever came to giving an apology for anything came later that night when he walked in and saw June sitting quietly at the kitchen table with a bandage on her hand. She was gazing at the wall, looking at nothing. Jimmy passed by her on the way to the refrigerator. He took out a beer, closed the door, um, twisted off the cap, and stood there for a moment. He looked at his wife, and he said, I wish you would stop making me do these things. Oh, jeez. Then he took a swig from the bottle, burped loudly, and walked into the living room to watch television. Yeah, look what you made me do. So that's what the situation is, guys. I mean, she she, she admits, as, as I'm interviewing her, she's thinking back, I was completely nuts. I mean, how could I? It was my fault, again, because he, 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 he taught her that, and that's what happened. So... Um, the only thing that confuses me about Frank. this is, it, it's Frank, a couple of things. One, when usually an abuser like this, when the wife has the upper hand and can get a gun or a knife or something, usually they go for the anatomy first, and then the rest, whatever happens. But if he was asleep and they shot him in the head four times, I would have thought there would have been one honey shot to get back at him for doing what he was doing and then, you know, to realize what she was about to do to him so that she could be overpowering him. And the second thing is, usually men like this don't like to have them being able to talk to anybody else. They want full, complete control. They completely isolate them from everyone else in the world. 
So I find it strange she had a friend. That was the case here, exactly, Frank. And yet she had Helen. Somehow she got Helen. Yeah, well, no, she was isolated other than Helen, which, who, who, she wasn't allowed to go see Helen. She wasn't allowed to drive. She had no money. She was not allowed to have a phone book in the house. you, you got to understand the situation here. So Helen was allowed to come and visit her occasionally. Jimmy, for some reason, allowed that, and that's, that's what precipitated this thing. But, you no, know, June had no animosity. She had no hatred at the time. She was insane at the time. And this woman said, get in there, take this shot, take this shot, and she can her to do it. So this wasn't a thing like, I'm, I want to hurt my husband, um, I want to uh, get back at my husband. That wasn't the case, you guys. It was the case that she, she, she wanted to end this, and she was pushed to do it, and, and that's what happened. So what did they do to Helen? Did Helen go to the slammer? You know, that's the interesting part of this. When I uh, first, um, this, book, this book was first published by Ballantine Books, and they had some pretty heavy legal read on this originally. Yep. They wanted me to um, eliminate this part about the uh, the accomplice because they were worried because she because they were worried that um, she would have some retribution. I said, "You guys, the lawyers I'm talking about. We, we did a legal read and changed identities and a lot of other things, including hers." But I said, you, 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 "Are you actually worried that a woman who got away with murder as an accomplice is going to come forward and make a make a fuss? You're not going to hear from her." <laughs> That's right. Frank and Howard and, and I was that if you take that out of this book, there will be no book. Because this woman would not have gone to prison if it wasn't for that uh, uh, Helen. And so they, they, they acquiesced and they, they allowed it to stay in. Because that was the whole, this would have never happened without that gal there. Just a question, where did the gun come from? It was Jimmy's gun. Jimmy was a, a gun guy, tough motorcycle guy. He had, he had a lot of guns around. Okay. Yeah. Thank I you. want to read you guys. Um, well, if you want to hear one more horrible oh, story. Oh, please do. We love horrible stories. I want you to, I mean, this is a, this is a true crime station out here. I, I, I want you to know what goes on in, in, in these homes. Um, so let me give you this. How much time do we have, by the way? Oh, we got plenty of time. Don't worry. Okay. Uh, let me read you a, uh, another incident that is um, indicative of what this woman went through. And then, and then we'll stop asking this question of why didn't she just leave? We're going to stop asking this question because you're going to see the, 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 what, what uh, women um, endure and, 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 and obviously why they become so, uh, so deranged. Let me read you. This is about a collection of miniature brandy glasses that Jimmy had on top of the uh, – Television. They were his cherished possessions and been collecting them for years, okay? Yeah. So that's, that, that's what this story is about. Uh, what a good, that's a great hobby, collecting brandy glasses on top of the TV. That's about all this guy could do, but... <laughs> Did he do something for a living? Yeah, he was a, yeah, yeah, he was a, uh, he was a mechanic. So anyway, okay, so anyway, he, he had this uh, collection of brandy glasses and, uh, and um, June had been vacuuming, and she knocked, knocked him over and broke him, and she knew that was going to be a bad deal. Anyway, Jimmy came home, he sat down to watch television. The brandy glasses, most of them, were still up on top of the television. So that's where I'm going to start here. A minute went by uh, as Jimmy was sitting watching television. A minute went by as June held her breath. Two minutes, five minutes, 
Six minutes. Suddenly, Jimmy jumped up from the couch and yelled, what the F happened here? June swallowed hard and walked slowly into the living room. She started to tell the pre-planned story that the, ki that the kids did it in, in, in a shaky voice. And, she, and just as she started to tell the story, Pam, her little kid, appeared in the doorway. A little tiny kid uh, appeared in the doorway in her walker and said, uh-oh, Daddy. June, and June uh, continued rambling now, trying to, uh, to talk faster, trying to get out a suitable explanation before it was too late, because he had seen now that his, uh, his branding glasses are broken. And she said, quote, and, and I knew they meant a lot to you, Jimmy. I, knew, I know they came from Aunt Sally and Uncle. She couldn't finish the sentence. Halfway through the sentence, Jimmy punched her full-fisted in the cheek. She dropped to the floor, and he picked her up and pinned her against the basement door adjacent to the television. June clawed at it, trying to open it, trying for an escape route, but Jimmy's black boot held it shut. How could you let this happen? You know what they mean to me, screamed Jimmy. Without waiting for a response, he pounced on his wife and grabbed her long hair. He wound it around his massive fist, then yanked her head back and smashed it into the basement door. Smash, smash. June screamed for Jimmy to stop, but he was in a trance and heard nothing. Like a crippled animal, she looked about frantically for refuge anywhere but where she was. But there was no such place. She was trapped, pinned tight to the basement door, and Jimmy knew it. He stood up as if he was done with the punishment. June closed her eyes, sighed deeply, and began to pray a prayer of thanks, just as the first kick landed up and under her ribcage near the solar plexus. She was temporarily paralyzed by the blow and could neither breathe nor move. A moment later, she dry heaved, releasing a low, guttural, primal groan as she doubled over into the fetal position. The next black boot had much more force and landed squarely on the ribs. June felt something inside rip and let go. Then came the series. One, two, three kicks, hard and fast. Change feet, now again with the other boot. One, two, three, you miserable effing bitch. How do you like this? How do you like this, bitch? And the kicks came again. June struggled to wrap her, her arms around herself and protect her broken rib. She twisted her uh, to position her back towards the attack and as she did, she caught a vague, watery glimpse of her two children standing in the doorway, holding each other. Don't come out here, she yelled, or tried to yell, but the words came out as nothing more than a wheeze. It was almost impossible to breathe now, and then the pain came. Agonizing as it was, June still had the wherewithal to instruct her children, don't, get back, get in your room, she yelled breathlessly. They complied immediately, but Jimmy was done. He went to the bedroom, grabbed his coat, and left the house. Jesus. That's what happens. That's what happens inside these homes, guys. So, so, so that's a that that's a, just an excerpt from the book. Uh, let's talk about the book. The name of the book is. Yeah. So the name of the book is um, the Beast I Love: The Battered Woman's Desperate Struggle to Survive, and now now published by uh, Wild Blue Press. Uh, Robert uh, Davidson, and and uh, it can be picked up just about any place you get books. You can order it right now. You can get it at uh, Amazon or Barnes and Noble. You can order it direct from Wild Blue Press. Is it also available as an ebook for like your Kindle or Nook? Yes, it is. Yes, it just came out Tuesday, and it, it is indeed. Well, I'm sure you're going to do very well with this book. It's, uh, I'm stunned by it. I mean, I've heard this type of thing before, but you write so well and it's so compelling when you read it. that uh, I, I was going to go there for a second because he yeah. does write extraordinarily well. But you're writing, it sounds like you're quoting her. Uh, does she, rem did, 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 how, where did that come from? Did she? That is correct. No, that, that's correct. Well, some of that, 
some of that I, I, I hope I said quote and unquote. But a, a good portion of this book are direct quotes from her. You know, I interviewed her over, uh, well, this whole project was a two-year project. I inter interviewed her in prison, by the way. Um, and, uh, you know, we have tapes and we have all the notes and what have you. And so a good portion of this book is direct quotes from her, like, like you just, part of that you just heard. Um, and so she told, that, she told that part of the story she's about she's got the an, such an extraordinary detailed memory right down to the word because you do go quote and unquote and when you're quoting her it's just yeah well you wouldn't forget I, mean, you, you, I, I don't know you wouldn't I mean you're saying you wouldn't forget I guess she wouldn't forget she remembers not, not being pinned against the door and turning to see your two kids and uh, the boots coming this way then the other boot and then the other then he turned the other way and you know and, and another boots came bang 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 I wrapped my arms around yeah so I'm quoting her that's exactly could, could some of that been uh, exaggerated because of the trauma it was so deep but you wouldn't have to no because it was so the ribs well, were broken he, kicked, yeah. he either kicked her or he didn't kick her I mean so and then the second go around he broke her rib so yeah so okay. but the first time by the way more later in the book he talks about another rib was broken and how he how when she went to the hospital he he was changing hot he made her change hospital after hospital so they couldn't follow the trail and yeah, he, uh, he had a standoff with the police. The police had a standoff with him. He was, was going to knife a policeman. He's all knife you, you SOB. And there was a two-hour standoff with the cops holding guns against us. This guy was crazy, fellas. So, me, as, you, as you can tell from these stories I'm telling you. Let so, me ask you something. From the, yeah. time, from the time, so, and not necessarily your subject, but you know, you know, you know about this now. And if somebody is uh, dating somebody. Um, well, you know what? And we're going to have to take a 60-second break. And I, I've got the question right after. Okay. Yeah, right after the break, we'll have the next question. Don't go anywhere. We're talking to Robert Davidson, author of The Beast I Love. We'll be right back on True Crime Uncensored. interrupting obsession with you 24 hours a day on any phone or device and it's all free just go to your friendly app store and search for outlaw radio then look for the red letters on the sign with the bullet holes in it and download it it's free listen free on the road in your car at the beach or in your backyard it's all free from outlaw radio this is buddy twist saying good night from hollywood Burl Bear, a host of True Crime Uncensored on OutlawRadioLive.com, taking a break from my busy schedule of admiring myself in the mirror to point out that my books are also available, and several of them are also from Wild Blue Press. My latest masterpiece, Betrayal in Blue, the true story of the cocaine-dealing cops of the NYPD, co-authored by Frank C. Gerardo Jr. and Ken Urell, the number two most corrupt cop in the history of the NYPD. It's shocking. It's true. They're making 13K a 
a year as cops, 8K a week, providing protection for the Dominican drug cartel. Nice work if you can get it. Pick it up now wherever fine books are sold or ordered from Amazon or Barnes & Noble or Wild Blue Press. And now we're going to go back and find out more about The Beast I Loved, written by Robert Davidson on TrueCrimeUncensored.com. Back to True Crime Uncensored with Burl Bear and Howard Lapidus. And what's his name? The yeah. other guy. The other guy. Uh, the other two, <laughs> Mark Boyer. Two other guys here. Two other guys. Featuring Mark C.G. Boyer. And Frank that's, Hagen. That's, that's me. Frank Hagen is, is, yeah. is with us. Okay, so, Howard, what's your question my, for our guests? My, my, my question is just, you know... What was that? Well, it was, when Howard has a question, he doesn't just ask the question. He says, I, I was, bad. I was, ah, ah. it sounds like he's being KO'd in a back alley. I was, ah, but I was, ah. Okay, meanwhile, Howard has a question. Uh, uh, so, uh, see, you uh, see? <laughs> I know. And you know, of course. <laughs> so, Robert. So somebody, if somebody's dating somebody, then they become engaged. Uh, when do they get a clue that uh, maybe they shouldn't marry the guy, or does it happen after marriage? Where does this happen? Does it happen after the first date? I mean, wh where does the abuse kick in? Well, uh, that's a good, that's an excellent question. Um, Once again, it, it's Howard with the excellent question. <laughs> He's always bragging about his excellent questions. Right. Hmm. I well, question that. So you're the lead. I thought Burl was the lead guy. I am, but I'm so gracious. I let him answer, uh, ask all the questions. <laughs> Burl is, in fact, the lead guy. Yes, we <laughs> let him out of his cage weekly. <laughs> so when does it start? Well, when do they first notice? Thanks, Burl. You know, the, prob the problem is that, um, you see, these, these abusers... They're, they're imposters. You know, they, what, what, the, the standard scenario, you guys, is that they, they convince these insecure women, and, and June was amongst the most insecure. She had never had a family. Uh, you know, she was given away by her mother at birth to, to a grandmother who also wasn't interested in raising her. And, and she was really groomed to, to be a victim. And, and, and a typical woman who stays with guys like this... Um, they're in such. They're so needy and so needing of, of love and of any kind and approval that they're really susceptible. And then they 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 fall for these imposter these guys who they'll beat the woman or and, and I'm sorry, hon, that was a mistake. Jeez, uh, I'll never do that again. And I really do love you. And all, all the woman has to hear, I like. Okay, yeah. they'll I, take I, the beating I, in order to get the after praise. And it becomes it becomes ingrained in them. When I was 18 years old, I was picked up by a woman at a basketball game, and, uh, took her home, and as we're smooching, she looks up at me and looks me in the eye and says, "Hurt me." A real man would know how to hurt me. Give me your credit card. No, I, I <laughs> no, I told her she didn't know how to accessorize. Oh, there's, well, there's yeah, there's. That's true story. There's masochists out there too. This, believe me, June was not a masochist. She was just uh, clinically insane by the time this thing ended, and she was just a needy, a very needy, insecure, scared uh, woman.
woman who just kept, and also she had this heartfelt desire that she wanted to have a life, she wanted to have, you know, the two cars, a house, a family, what have you. Wasn't going to happen. Wasn't going to happen when her husband took a job, you ask me what he did, he took a job as a mechanic. This is how much control there was, you guys. And this is all, this whole issue is about control. Because the men are so weak and afraid and they're, they're cowards. He took a job directly across the street from their little apartment. I don't mean down the street, I mean directly across the street so that he could work on his cars and put his spark plugs in and then glance up and watch that house at all times to make sure that she could, did not leave. She was a prisoner in her own home. People say, why didn't she just leave? I get that question all the time. I've got a buddy out where you guys are in California, Silicon Valley, uh, uh, well-off guy, read the book. I don't I take that back. You probably didn't read the book. <laughs> yeah. One of the first, the first questions he asked me, well, why didn't she just leave? I mean, like, like you, Steve? You mean, get in her... Get her BMW and drive away? Yeah, yeah. yeah, get in the BMW and drive away? You, got her, you, you don't get it. You, Let me, you don't get it. There was such control. Not only did she have no car, no job, no friends, no family, no self-esteem, uh, no money, but she had a controlling uh, a guard, a guard dog across the street, and she would never attempt to leave because then she'd get beaten even worse. So that that's the situation. There's a total control, and um, uh, so I just wanted to throw that in. That, that uh, okay, I understand that, hour. but but uh, let me even get to a better question. Um, is the American look? She held out. She was holding out for the quote unquote air quotes. I'm going to do them all. The American dream. The uh, the car in the driveway, the white picket fence, the two kids, and, yeah. the, and the happy family living in America, which, by the way, doesn't exist anywhere. But that's what she's holding out for, okay? And she kept holding out for it and holding out. It doesn't exist. But is the American dream, that fake American dream that gets in the heads of mainly women... Does is that somewhat guilt? So somewhere guilty of of what goes on here? Is, is who guilty? The American dream, the two cars, the, oh. the white picket fence, the dream of having that. No, keeps, I don't think so. Yeah, but think so. what keeps them in the game? Well, I think it was reasonable. But she, you know, she, to the very shortly after the actual murder and she went to prison and she she uh, she granted an interview to the local press here at the end of the interview i heard the tape at the end of the interview the reporter said after some of these horror stories i told you guys the reporter said well june did you love your husband she said right to the very end she loved him right to the very end well she loved him to death and, and, and let, me, let me tell you how deranged she was. The night she went to prison, the night of the murder, she went to prison and they, and, and they, and they put her in the, uh, the cell with another woman. And um, uh, I mean, I have no doubt in my mind that at the time of the murder, she was as deranged as any raving lunatic in any insane asylum. Jimmy Brown had driven his wife so insane when she first went into prison for murder, she told this cellmate of hers that night, I've got the quote here. She'll, she, this one is accurate to the, to the words. She'll never forget her words. She said to, the, the, to, to this woman, cellmate, uh, Jimmy's not dead. You don't know Jimmy. These bars won't stop him. He's going to come down here and kill me, just like he said he always would do. Oh, That's my God. Not- 
She believed it. So she was... Uh, so so maybe I'm missing something. Is she still in jail? Is she dead? What's her deal? Can't, I can't tell you. You're going to wreck the end of the book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. It's, it's all over the internet. That's almost fair enough. Yeah. Okay, I don't want you to wreck because your readers may want they want to read this. this that's almost fair it. enough. But yeah. you, you, but you you must admit, okay, I'll let you go on that. But you must admit that was a great question. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was just semi-excessive. Howard, then, if it was a great question. Yeah, if Howard asked it, it was a great question, of course. Of course it was. Yeah, you know what you tell a woman with two black eyes, Robert? I didn't hear you. Say it again. What do you tell a woman with two black eyes? Ask the salt. Do you know the answer? Well, what? What's the answer? That's a, that's a good one. But you, you ask no, no, I'm asking you. Do you know what you tell a woman with two black eyes? I, I, I tell her to... Uh, uh, <laughs> you don't tell her anything because you already told her twice. <laughs> oh, God. That's great. Yeah. Very good. That's the justification I get when I talk to these people. I was talking to some domestic uh, violence survivors and uh, experts, and someone brought up... Uh, this, this whole topic of, from the other perspective, and that was, why do they have shoulders for battered women? Because they don't know when to shut up. And that is really sick. But you would be surprised how often that is, uh, even women said, there is an element of truth to that. The guy is dangerous, he is violent, okay. he is oppressive, and right. any attempt to reason with him or talk to him is a waste of time. He's still going to beat the crap out of you. All true, okay? But back to my question from 45 minutes ago, and it was just a mediocre question. But how do we get it from every 15 seconds to every 30 seconds to every minute? Okay, I, that, that's a good question. It had to be Howard, right? Yeah. Yeah, that had an excellent uh, question. Yeah. It had to be Howard. I'm starting to get, I'm starting to get the drift now, you guys. I, I, I've got a great answer for you. And it's in my prepared remarks because I get, this, I get that question. Or, 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 not, not as quite as... Well phrased as Howard did, but I get you know that a question with that leaning. So let, let me just read you this little part I got here. So 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 to get it down to ten seconds or just into zero seconds, Howard would be better. There shouldn't be any beating at all. Correct. What what should we be doing that we're not doing? First of all, you know you talk about domestic violence. You speak. You encourage others to speak, particularly at high schools. And you need to get kids when they're young and they're impressionable and impress upon them that it's always and immediately unacceptable in any way to mentally or physically abuse or be abused by anyone, period. I mean, you heard of the California law of three strikes and you're out. You guys got it out there. My, my personal opinion on that is, is when it comes to domestic violence, one threat of a strike and you're out. But how do you, how do you get how do you get that person nailed when the uh, the uh, abusee won't report it? Well, the you start early, like I just said. You want to get to these kids. These kids, people need to to, to talk about it. They've got to get the awareness out. They got to read books like I, I've written. Uh, you got to teach kids. It's not acceptable. You, you do not have to put up with this. Um, and, you know, because the, the threat, threats eventually lead inevitably to a, a punch or a kick and often death. You know, remember, you know, most batterers will not get better. And besides, there's plenty of kind, decent guys out there. So why wait? If you have women that have been battered listening to your show right now, why would you wait around? I mean, 
this is rational, not emotional thinking. It's difficult. It's rational. You got to think rationally. These guys will not get better. They're imposters. They're cowards. They're control freaks. All right. Let's say, Robert. Let's say there is some someone or many listening to the show today that are battered. What can they do right now? What would you okay, say? That's a very good question. I know. Of course, why, it's a Howard question. That's why. It's good. It's a good question. Yeah, of course. <laughs> well, that's why in the last page of the book, in fact, it was Steve Jackson, the publisher's idea, to put in a resource page in there. Because, again, when June was being battered, there were no hotlines. And, and well, actually, the, the year she killed her husband came the first hotline by the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. Just had just come up. There weren't any at that time. And now there, have, now there are safe houses, there's hotlines all over the place. <clears throat> Women have to get out. They, they gotta, not, they gotta listen to what I'm telling them. These guys will not get better and they will eventually kill them. So is there a number? Get out and there's there, plenty of resources now that we didn't have back when June Brianna was getting Okay, beat. plenty, plenty, plenty. Do you have anything that we can tell our audience? Do you have a phone number? Is there one or two? I, I, you know, I've got it in my manuscript, but I don't. But it's the, na uh, the National uh, Domestic Violence Hotline. It, it, it's anywhere. 411 will get, get you that or 911. There's, and every state has this uh, uh, hotline connected to it, and every state has several safe houses now, especially here in New Hampshire. There's several. Um, and, and so that's what women have to get the hell out is the answer to your question. They do not believe these guys. These women are in dead-end, dangerous relationships, and, and so, so what do you do? You've got to, we've got to confront women who suspect they're being abused and talk to them, like we're doing right now on your program. And, and you know, you know, they got to be willing to listen. We got to get to them, talk to them, make some progress. Don't keep this issue a hidden issue. It's up to us. It's an insane epidemic, and we can make uh, we can make a difference if we talk about it. So I really appreciate, by the way, you guys, all you, Howard, Frank, Burl, and Mark over here in the corner. I'm sorry, Mark. And Mark. <laughs> I have a I have a, I have a question for you. I appreciate um, you having in, in in any addiction scenario, whatever it may be. The person that's addicted has to want help. And so we can do everything external on our end to provide the resources, but it's incumbent on the person in the situation to pick up the phone. Yeah, that's, uh, that, uh, that's not a question. That was a statement. And, uh, uh, so, so, it, so is there anything we can do to help motivate the individual to act? That Mark talking? Yeah, that's a Marky. Okay, Mark. Thank you. He eventually so, uh, got to a question, Robert. I got to give credit to all the other guys: Howard, Frank, Burl. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You're getting the star. You're getting the, the gold star because I. It, and we're ending, ending on that note. That is that. That is probably the most important point of the whole conversation we had. What wow, do you do? I beat Howard. What do we do? I, just nobody can place. answer your question about uh, how do you motivate an addicted person to not not smoke anymore or not not uh, t take uh, uh, oxycodone and all the rest. How do you do that? How do some of those people break out? How don't they? I don't know. But the point is, we have resources. Every city now has a domestic violence uh, center. Every every township has them. So I hope for the women who are listening to this, if they're allowed to, if they if they have the courage, because remember, their 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 batterer might walk in on this conversation, and they're going to be in trouble. So a lot of them aren't listening. But whoever is, you know somebody. We all know somebody, a hundred percent certain. We all know somebody who's been battered. 
and, and, and whether, you, whether we know it or not, they have been battered out there. So our idea is, you know, you don't have to identify these people. You just got to talk this up and get out of these relationships. These guys will not improve. Do not believe them. They're imposters. And you've got to call the 800 line, and there's plenty of safe house. This is a terrific thing that's happened now, this, this, this new movement with all the resources we have now that, again, through 20 years ago, were not, were not available. So it's a great question. You've got to make the move. If you're addicted to love, which a lot of these women are, they're addicted to the batterer. Um, they just got to realize that um, unless they do something about it, they're going to get hurt, and Co- their kids are going to get hurt. Correct, correct me if I'm wrong, though. Correct me if I'm wrong. That just, I mean, the, 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 we solved the problem this way. Just put the lid back on the peanut butter jar properly. Yeah, then we wouldn't have these problems. Right. Look what you mm-hmm. made me do. That's right. That's right. But there, there was a woman who was deep into this learn helplessness um, syndrome, which is now, again, back then it was just, just being recognized. Now it's well, it's in every psychology class. I mean, it's well understood what happens to these people. But, um, you know, so how do you... How do you get a woman in that situation to call, pick up the phone and call if she has a phone? Who knows? He's talk about it, folks, and talk about that to young people so they're ready for this when this happens in their life, and they will be. Remember my statistic at the beginning here? One in three women will be attacked uh, by an intimate partner. So they'll get this, and uh, if they're ready for it, they'll be more likely to survive. Yep. And uh, for guys, it's much the same thing, except even more difficult to find a place. You guys are more ashamed to admit it. So what's the, what's the name of the book, Burrow? Oh, the name of the book. The book is called The Beast I Loved, A Battered Woman's Desperate Struggle to Survive by Robert Davidson, available right now. You can do an instant download for your Kindle, or you can get it in uh, paperback, whatever, from Wild Blue Press. You can get it from Amazon, Barnes Noble, whatever. Thank you so much, Robert. Fantastic show. Best of luck to you. Well, have you on again. Thanks. Hey! Great show. Let me ask you something, bro. Yeah, go ahead and ask. What, I dare you. What would be next? Ah, uh, probably Magic Matt Allen and the Demons of Decadence live from the Lightning Lounge. <laughs>